Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Melissa Mayer. Melissa is author of the book, Recovering My True Self. We have a great conversation about her transformation, about creativity. It's a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And also check me out on Instagram at NoorKidY. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Melissa Mayer. All right, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Melissa Mayer, author of Recovering My True Self. Melissa, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is going to be great. Uh, your book basically covers like my whole theme of my podcast, <laughs> self-transformation, a spiritual transformation, really learning about yourself. And actually, it seems like even igniting more of your creative self, igniting more of uh, just different parts of yourself. Like I love how you even changed in your therapy and everything. I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this podcast. So maybe just give my audience a little bit of like who you are, and then we can kind of like get into your story a little bit. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And um, I live in Hampton Bays, New York. I'm a holistic physical therapist. And I wrote a book called Recovering My True Self, as you said. And it's a story about donating my kidney to my husband and the transformation I experienced as a result. And a lot of the inner work I did leading up to the transplant and um, the divine wake up that I write about in the book is kind of a culmination and then off to, and also the kind of recovery aftermath. And, you know, I would have never considered myself an alcoholic, but was definitely a party girl in my twenties in New York city and thirties <laughs> having my kids. And, yeah. It's uh, a fun city to party in. <laughs> uh -huh. And, um, but yeah, after the uh, transplant, my husband was advised not to drink for three months because of the immunosuppressive regimen. And I had just had surgery. So I said, you know, he was, pretty much one of my favorite drinking buddies. So I said, you know, we'll do this together. Like we won't drink. And so, um, and after three months, the doctors were like, you know, you know, Ken's my husband, you can have a drink now. It's fine. And I was like, you know what? I'm not ready to, I don't think I want to go back. And I was just feeling so just like my writing, all the creativity, just like feeling so connected to myself and to a higher power was just so powerful that I was like, you know what? I don't want to muck this up. You know, I could just feel so clear and I just want to stick with it. And it's been three years now and, uh, you know, never would have, never would have thought. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, interesting. I'll tell you actually myself, I'm almost at two months, no alcohol at all. And I mm -hmm. honestly, I'm feeling like kind of the similar things to you. Like my focus is so like, so good right now. And my creativity, like my writing and everything, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't know, it feels great. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I told my friend, me and him made a pact, we're going to go until New Year's. But now I'm like, eh, maybe it'll go longer. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want to make a commitment either, because it's like, then you feel like you got to stick with it. So I just said, you know, and 
I had gone to a couple meetings and, and it was cool. It's like one day at a time, you know? And I said, okay, let's just, I'll do it for today and I'll see how today feels. And I'll, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. Cause I, you know, we had our high school reunion, our 20 year reunion, like coming up a few months after the surgery. And I was like, I can't not drink at that, but I didn't. And I went to so many things that I was like, I can't go there and not have a drink, but I just kept going to them and I was able to do it. And then before I knew it, I had gone months and, you know, holidays and parties and events that I always associated with alcohol. And I just kind of went with a, def a totally different perspective and I was able to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, it's actually interesting when you start going to a few of those events and you kind of figure out, you're like, hey, like, holy shit, I could actually do this. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And uh, up in Canada, they legalized weed. That makes it a little bit easier. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, also, I just, because uh, you do have like kind of a background, you said in like yoga, meditation, and like you, you were a physical therapist, like that's what your first training was. And then you kind of switch that as well. Can you maybe like tell my audience a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So I had gone to PT school, you know, out of after college, um, you know, because I was interested in sports and science and medicine and, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed rehab and recovery. And then but I was always interested in yoga and meditation and um, self discovery, Deepak Chopra and just, um, you know, a lot of the deeper work of, of asking yourself, like what discovery and what healing is. So always enjoyed it. And then, you know, like put my time in a New York City at hospitals and visiting nurse service and uh, outpatient centers. And, but, um, you know, always knew that I wanted to take it in my own direction. And then after the transplant and after my divine wake up and writing a book on it, I just think I had more um, kind of just courage and, and conviction in my work to say, this is how I want to do my work now. And I transitioned. I started seeing private clients at a yoga studio down the street and then um, started seeing them at my house. And with COVID, I did a COVID renovation and uh, built a healing space in my basement that has a separate entrance that is, you know, kind of a good professional space and just kind of is surrounded by the earth and just has a real great healing vibe. And I love working with people here and in my own space where I feel like I can be really creative with them. I can work with them one-on-one -on -one and I can go beyond the limitations of insurance, documentation, over scheduling, over stimulation. I'm a highly sensitive person. So mm -hmm. I would get really overwhelmed being with too many people and feeling too much energy of others, but one-on-one -on -one in a really safe, space with oils diffusing and yoga mats in the background felt like I could really hear what's going on and really like kind of co-create really deep healing. And it's, it's been great. I love it. Mm -hmm. And like, have you seen, noticed like something like, uh, I don't know, maybe just because just in physical therapy, cause I've actually had like quite a bit of shoulder and back pain in the last few years that I've gone in and out of uh, physical therapy with. And when I kind of started going deep inside of me and noticing there's a little bit of a more of like an emotional element to it as well. And uh, maybe even like a diet element, like I've, I've seen like a, an acupuncture and he was telling me to change up my diet to get my blood flowing better to help my healing processes. And like it actually started to work and stuff like yeah. when you got out of that professional element of it, did you come into this where you able to like uh, bring in a lot more of these other uh, like types of healing? Yes, absolutely. A lot of um, energy therapy and clearing, 
Um, I do myofascial release where I feel like I can really just get into where tension is stored in the body because I do feel like tension and trauma is stored in our bodies from things we experience, life, stress. I mean, we're just, and we went through a, a collective trauma with COVID. So, and I just feel like it gets locked away in our body and it manifests as injuries. Not that I don't believe in, you know, tendon repairs and, you know, the traditional side of it, I do. But, um, and I like seeing people after they've gone through traditional physical therapy, because a lot of times they know the exercises, they've been through the drill and they're just like ready to go deeper. They're like, yeah, I did the band work. I've done the, this stuff. And I just know there's some more stuff down there. And then we kind of just work in and go a little deeper. And that's what I really enjoy doing and find people get a lot better, a lot quicker. And they're really ready to work, you know, like they come to me and they're just ready to do it. And that's, that's what I think it is so much more than just like me as the healer, like they're the healer, they come in and we put it together and we get really great results. Yeah, I love that. And you're right, when they come in, and they're just like, when they're that motivated to do it, uh, you could actually get better results so much more because of that. Yeah, um, they find my work, they find my book, and they're like, I love this, and I'm, and I'm ready. And I'm like, all right, great, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get into your book a little bit more. So I want to kind of hear a little bit about your spiritual transformation. And um, yeah, I don't know, where, where do you think is the best place to kind of start with your story? Yeah. Maybe you can let us know. All right, I'll start with, um, with The Course in Miracles, because um, you know, reading lots of self-help books through the years, I've heard reference to A Course in Miracles a lot, and I never really knew, I, I've heard about it, and then I kind of saw this big, thick blue book, and I was like, what is that? And then, you know, I started reading it, and, you know, leading up to the transplant, I was, you know, there was a lot of just stress about what's going to happen to my husband, what's going to happen to me, I had two small children, so I had a lot of stress, but I was reading A Course in Miracles and um, it has a lot of uh, Christian language and God, which I was not really comfortable with at the time. I felt I was a spiritual person, but not a religious person. But as I kind of went with it, I said, all right, you know, let me just see what it's all about and not just put it down because of the word Christ or God. Like, let's just keep going with this. So I kept going with it. I found it really comforting and really a lot of freedom in in the work. I didn't find it like stifling in terms of, um, or like restrictive in, you know, religious dogma. I didn't find any of that. So, you know, the day before the surgery or maybe the day before, I just, I kind of just felt like I surrendered. I said, God, if that's what you are, I don't know. I need a miracle. Like I, I need a miracle here. And I went in the surgery, you know, I like walked into the room. I mean, I was crying. It was so emotional. I closed my eyes, but I felt like when I woke up, I felt like I had a divine wake up. I felt like God just said, I'm here. You're fine. You're going to be okay. Your husband's going to be okay. And I felt like I had experienced a miracle. So it mm. really changed my whole, you know, perspective about spirituality because again, I thought I was spiritual, but just really feeling like I had experienced a miracle. I was really comfortable then saying the word God and felt like I didn't have to convince anybody about what it was. Like, I just felt the truth. And I, I, had, I had a deeper knowing. I said, you can believe me or not, but I know I experienced a miracle and I understand what miracles are now. And I realized they're big and they're also small. You know, they're, we get, you know, they, we experience small ones throughout the day and we experience big grand ones. And I love hearing stories of people talking about, 
you know, how like these big obstacles, that's kind of a theme of my book, how obstacles can become opportunities. People talk about, you know, with the loss of a parent or a traumatic situation becomes this opportunity that, you know, they transform their lives around. And I think a lot of it is because of the spiritual surrendering and the acknowledgement of, you know, God coming in and feeling the miracle and then having a complete shift. And that's what I talk about in my book. And that's what has just been guiding my life ever since three years ago now. And I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. And I, I really like that, the surrendering part, because I, I think that's part of any kind of spiritual transformation when you're like, in your sense, it was triggered by something that you were really scared of to go into a surgery, which like, yeah, you have a family, I can completely understand all the fears and uh, uncertainty you're going into. So this whole thing triggers you to kind of eventually just surrender. And I don't know, you, uh, you said you had a background in yoga and meditation. So maybe that did help you understand like what that even means by just like, hey, let go and go into the like, just go into like the moment and accept it. And mm -hmm. that's where you kind of get that spiritual like transformation kind of coming through. I, I, I find that, yeah, uh, yeah I find that very beautiful because how you said, and like your book, a big theme is that like, when you see these obstacles, they can become something that helps you transform. You just have to look at them as something that can help you transform rather than just being like, oh, another obstacle and always being like, oh, that obstacle is going to F me over or whatever, right? Right. I'm a victim to it all. Like, why me? Why would, should this happen to me? You know, and after the surgery, I mean, it was, you know, pretty cathartic just the first couple of days. And I remember just crying and just feeling like I was releasing so much of the anxiety around leading up to it. And what's our lives going to look like now? I mean, you know, we live by the beach and they were saying we couldn't go in the sun. And, you know, it's just like all these things. I was like, what's our new life going to be like? And all this mourning of our old life versus our new life. But as I just kind of let it go and just kept surrendering and just kept allowing the miracle to unfold, I, I never expected that my life would be better than ever as a result of something like that. You know, it just never mm -hmm. crossed my mind that three years later, my life is like just monumentally better. And I feel a sense of freedom that I never thought I ever would. Yeah, that is, uh, that is uh, really nice to hear. Um, can you give us some insights on like the changes that happened then after the surgery uh, took place? So like what started happening in like the months after? Yeah, well, I think just in the, you know, in the not drinking part, and just kind of going to a few meetings here and there, um, just hearing like, just some of the language in like, I, I mean, I don't go to AA meetings these days, but I just really like the language around recovery, like the letting go and letting God. And I was also um, reading Julia Cameron's uh, uh, The Artist's Way, and she had been through recovery and a lot of her creative recovery was the same language, like just being a vessel for God and, you know, especially to create. So I, after the surgery and once we recovered, we stayed in New York City for a month. But then once we came back out to our house, you know, out here on the east end of Long Island by the beach, surrounded by nature, I just was writing and just kind of allowing this creative recovery process to unfold as I was recovering and recovering you know, from drinking. And it just, it was just all coming together, you know, the creative recovery, the surgical recovery, the, you know, recovery from sobriety. And it just, it just all, and then not to mention my children, I've always been into um, attachment parenting and Waldorf education. And that has a real deep connection to the child learning their self 
I mean, Rudolf Steiner, who really was the founder of all of this, he was a philosopher and it's, it's the whole theme of the education is discovery of the self. And I had always been about that, you know, through reading self-help books and digging and wanting to discover like who I am and why I'm here. So it, it just kind of all came together, like my children's education, my writing, my self-discovery work, recovering. And it was just, it was just amazing. Like mm. what started happening, you know, like the writing of the book. I mean, I never thought I would write a book. I'm, I'm a physical therapist. I was always a science minded person. I never, you know, thought of myself as a creative person. And I had like a lot of um, limiting beliefs and creative insecurity that I wasn't creative enough to write a book. But then through my recovery, I was like, well, why, why not me? I mean, I have a story to tell and I like hearing other people's stories. So why not tell mine? And, and it just was there in front of me. Like I just kept writing. And I, and as I kept writing, I got more confidence and courage to say, I can tell my story. And, you know, of course in miracles, I was still they have um, a workbook. So I was doing the daily lessons and that was so encouraging too. I mean, the lessons talk about, you know, like you're, you're no better, but you're no worse than anybody else. So, you know, I mean, like, I was like, I'm, I have just as like much right to tell my story. So all of that was, was really monumental. And then it was kind of interesting. My husband, who I always would consider a very masculine kind of dude, he's a physician and he likes football. I kind of got in, I got into a notice. There was something, there's something called cellular memory, which um, Deepak Chopra had um, talked about, where basically we think of like who we are in our brain, but our cells and especially groups of cells, like our organs, if they're transplanted into someone's body, that person starts to experience changes. So my husband started to have just some different characteristics, almost a little bit more kind of like creative feminine energy in him that I started noticing. <laughs> nice. Like, oh my God, miracles <laughs> just keep unfolding. I mean, he was just, you know, he would needle felt all of a sudden, which was, um, it's a Waldorf craft where you take wool roving and you needle it and you can make animals or whatever out of this wool felt. And all of a sudden he was able to do that. And I had never seen him do that my whole life. He would give them as gifts to people and people were like, can you <laughs> eat this? <laughs> and I was just like, it's another miracle of like, you know, this whole journey. So it was just, it was <laughs> great. <laughs> that some, uh, yeah, is that the can you kidney in there, I guess, giving a little uh, feminine energy, nothing wrong with that. It did, it did, it was amazing. And so did you say, were you saying like your writing pretty much only started after the transplant? Yeah, I mean, I was, I always wrote in journals in high school and, you know, throughout the years, I loved to travel. And again, I always was into self-discovery and always had a very active mind. I would say like a lot of mind chatter. I was so grateful when I discovered Eckhart Tolle, who talked about the excessive mind chatter, because I always felt I had that. So writing was always a really great way for me to manage that mm -hmm. but off and on through the years you know I would put it down and not pick it up and never thought I would write a book I mean I would just journal write so when I told my husband I want to write a book he was like okay you know? <laughs> 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 um, all right I'm, you know and I said I know I know it sounds crazy but I just I want to write a book and no I had never written anything prior to the book I was always I was a physical therapist so it was mm -hmm. a whole, it was a big shift, but with, with considering everything that happened, it, you know, it felt appropriate. And I, I do love that because you were saying you kind of like, even that book you were reading, I forget what it was called, The Artist's Way, I think, uh, like 
Yeah, that was uh, that's talking about becoming a vessel, and I, I know a lot of uh, of these books that are about creativity. It talks about becoming a vessel. It's the same thing about you going into that surgery, finding that surrender. It's the same thing with that and creativity. And like I'm learning it every day as well. And any kind of creative person, they're learning it continuously. It's understanding that you got to surrender to that creative energy and just let it flow through you, kind of thing. And that's why I I, I sometimes realize like sometimes the best creatives you got to look at them and they like. I was even listening to a thing with Jay-Z, like one of the best rappers of all time. And he was saying, it's like, well, I'm not really doing it. I'm letting it come through me. And you're just like, yeah, that's like such a beautiful, non-egotistical way of thinking about it. Because this is a part of the creative process is that self-discovery. It's going inside yourself, silencing, and then allowing it to come through you and allowing it to really kind of find that authentic authenticity that is uh, inside of you. Absolutely. And I think that's where meditating comes in. And I know you're a big meditator and I am too. And um, I think meditation helps connect you to that because if you try and think about something like, oh, I'm going to write a book, what should it be about? Or what should I write today? And you start to intellectualize, but then when you meditate, that's just this opportunity to just clear your mind. And then I would notice when I cleared my mind, that's when all the good stuff came where the stuff I would think about, you know, that was not just not as good but you know it's, meditating would bring it all through a hundred percent and I think it's because of like um when you're thinking your mind you're constantly kind of just thinking of just like stuff that's in our culture just random shit like it's just the same kind of thought processes like I remember like hearing I think it was Eckhart Tolle saying like I think we have like 70,000 thoughts a day <laughs> Yeah, something crazy like that. And the majority of those thoughts are exactly the same. So it's just like, and the majority of them are kind of given to us by culture, just from us going on social media, or looking at the news and stuff. So most of them are useless thoughts. And if you're going to be operating creatively, creatively through those thoughts, you're just going to become coming out with shallow stuff that everybody kind of knows about. So that's like the reason why it's like coming back to that meditation, going deeper in, going into that silence. And yeah, when it comes out of that silence, that's when you get the better gems. That's when you get the true creativity. That's the gold. Yeah, that's the gold. <laughs> and no, I, I really like that. So uh, yeah, so after the kidney transplant, you you started creatively changing and then you changed your uh, like physical therapy as well, which it seems like you got a much like healthier relationship now with your therapy and like even your clients as well, right? Yeah, more of a wellness component. And then um, also after the surgery, I'd say it was, the surgery was August. Um, in December, when all this was happening, um, a good friend of mine who um, I had known through going to meditation classes with, he said, oh, um, we're going to Sri Lanka, come with us. <laughs> I was like, I can't go to Sri Lanka. It's Christmas time. I have kids. I have to, you know, deal with stuff around here. And he was like, no, 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 come with us. You know, we're going with, I, I go to the Long Island Buddhist meditation center. And he's like, you know, we're a whole group of us are going, it's going to be great. And I said, how could I, and then after, you know, my ego and the thoughts were like, no, no, you can't do that. But then, you know, after meditating, I've been saying that lately too. I'm like, I need to meditate on it. After meditating on it, I was like, why would I say no to Sri Lanka? Like, of course I should go. And I talked to my husband and he was like, yeah, go. And it ended up being, it was ended up what I used on the cover of my book. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the cover of my book, mm -hmm. but like 
kind of on this like spiritual mountaintop and that was in Sri Lanka. We had traveled with the head boot, you know, the head monk of the center who was being honored by the president. And he's so humble that none of this was really kind of told to us. So we got to Sri Lanka and realized that, you know, Bhante Nanda, who's the monk there was, was being honored by the president. And we had gone to the forest monastery that he studied at, and we had this like, I mean, epic, epic journey uh, traveling through Sri Lanka. And that I kind of felt like too, was some of the like culminating uh, aftermath of my spiritual journey of like this, you know, journey to Sri Lanka with a Buddhist monk. And, and I had done so much writing because we traveled around on a bus and I was just, you know, I was writing and writing and people were like, what are you writing? I was like, I think I'm going to write a book. And that was just like this time too, where it was so easy to be creative, <laughs> you know, looking out the windows at paddy fields and traveling around the country, seeing monks everywhere, a place where there's, you know, Buddhist temples every five feet. And I mean, a very, very inspiring place. Mm. How was, yeah. uh, that's uh, very interesting. What was like going to like Buddhist temples out there? Like, Oh, it was amazing. So amazing. I mean, I had, you know, known a little bit about Buddhism, like prior to the trip, you know, through meditation and mindfulness, you know, read some books and, and studied a little bit, but just being amongst monks and, you know, I mean, who are just so peaceful and so accepting and talk about, you know, religion and spirituality, Buddhism, you know, they say isn't even really a religion. It's more of a spiritual philosophy. So it, it's so inclusive in terms of like, people on the trip were Christian, Jewish, or maybe even would consider themselves atheists. And that was fine. They could still go to the temple. They could still partake in, you know, the ceremonies. We had 5 a.m. meditations under the Bodhi tree and wrapped these giant stupas, which are these, you know, places that hold sacred parts of the Buddha with a big runner. And we'd have these ceremonies carrying flowers and going into the shrine of the Buddha. I mean, they were really, really reverent and really, really beautiful. And I mean, really life-changing. No, oh, that is so cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually, and I, I like how they always wake up at five in the morning to start <laughs> meditating. I've always heard like a lot of monks say like the morning time's the time to meditate. Yes. And as a stand-up comedian, that's like been so freaking hard for me to ever uh, kind of get. Uh, but why, why do you think the morning is uh, so much better to meditate? Well, I guess it does depend on your patterns. If you're up late at night, you know, then maybe you do wake up groggy, but I mean, these days, especially once I stopped consuming alcohol, I started going home a lot earlier and going to bed a lot earlier and then not waking up with a hangover and feeling well rested. I mean, I'd wake up and just feel on fire. I'd feel light and I'd feel like, especially after I'd meditate, I would just be so focused. And um, going back to The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, it's a 12 week self-study course in the book. And she talks about doing something called the, um, the morning pages where every day you wake up, regardless of if your art is painting, comedy, writing, you just wake up and you write three pages, even if it's, you know, it's totally yeah. just like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing or why am I'm doing this, but it just to clear out your head. So I would just wake up I'd meditate. I'd write my three pages and then just find like, I'm ready to do anything, you know, like I know what I want to do today. I know what I want to accomplish today and mm -hmm. I know how I want to do it. So I just think there is, for me, I feel very connected in the morning to spirit and, uh, and then, you know, as the day goes on, you know, dealing with the world and the news and the egos, you know, and interfacing with people, it's like, that's when I kind of get like more bogged down. And then by the evening, I, 
just feel usually really tired and run down, but then I go to bed, I wake up and it's like, I restart and I feel really great again. So mm-hmm. morning time is a good creative time, a great work time for me for writing. But no, I, I can understand that rhythm and pattern, especially if you're at comedy clubs late night. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no, that's always been my uh, issue with the morning, but I, I like that. I'm going to read this artist way. That uh, sounds like a great Love book it. right up my alley. Um, I, I do like that. Wake up in the morning, write three pages. Like that's just beautiful because I, I'm trying to do the same thing. Um, and for me, I always have it like a little bit later in the morning. So I might do some other things, but that was one habit, especially after the pandemic, I had to get the hell out of my uh, rhythm. It's just because I was waking up in the morning. And I didn't have too much to do because it was like all my shows were canceled. Everything. It just kind of felt like I was like, you know, and then like I, I ended up waking up in the morning and being like, oh, maybe I'll look at my phone for a bit. And then that just got the, you just get started bad. off in a bad, bad pattern. And then it's like that, that, that habit was the one I needed to get the hell out of my, uh, get the hell out of because that definitely starts you off on like such a bad note. And, and it doesn't make you very present during the day. When you look at your phone, that takes away your presence for some reason. Right. And it's there an hour after you wake up. But I mean, I'm really sensitive to like that early morning time to just not even open it up, not even to look at it because, you know, and I write those couple pages, it just becomes very evident what I do want to deal with today, you know, like what was struggle, what I was struggling from with yesterday, what I want to accomplish today. And I don't, you know, if I look at my phone, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm on different trajectories of other thoughts about random things where when I kind of, it would just be a really good guide to just be like, it would just clear away a lot of stuff and then just really kind of hone in on what my soul wanted to focus on. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. I'm living for what my soul wants. And, you know, but we get so disconnected from that. So that's just a really good way to like tune back in and reconnect to ourselves, which, I mean, I think reconnecting to ourselves is reconnecting to a higher power. Mm-hmm. That's uh, honestly, that's uh, amazing. I really need to, uh... Yeah, I'm going to read that book because I think that's a smarter uh, thing for me to kind of start up with right now. Uh, wake up, write three pages instead of just waiting uh, that hour or something like I usually do. Um, no, I like that a lot. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you t- t- took from your trip to like Sri Lanka? Because this sounds like such a wonderful trip and like such a good timing trip, right? Oh, the timing was unbelievable. I mean, usually trips, I mean, I've been to Africa, I've been to India and those trips were usually very well planned out, you know, ahead of time. So for such a spontaneous trip right after the transplant and going through all that transformation was, was really beautiful. And I mean, I, I kind of, I really had reconnected when I was in Sri Lanka to the time where I was in India years prior to that or time I was in Africa. And it just, there's something about just going so far away and having that really exotic time away that really connects you with, you know, you come home with such a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that too. Like I came back with a really fresh perspective on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go forward and even kind of go beyond my book and my journey to, you know, just be more involved as an activist in, you know, my community and in the country. I mean, I came back and it was like right on the cusp of the 2020. I came back in January, 2019, which, you know, was the big lead up to the 2020 election. So, you know, I was just- and the pandemic and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of was really hyper-focused about, you know, how I wanted to go beyond my journey because, you know, it was 
writing my book for three years, I loved it. And it was a very healing process. But then I was like, okay, like I want to go beyond this now, you know, and I think a lot of people when they're in their work for a while, just be like, I want to expand beyond just my work to have work that connects me to, you know, to we're all connected and we want to just connect to that, you know? Yeah. And like how you said earlier, like you have a voice too. like, why the hell can't I say my thing? Like, I like listening to other people's stories. Why can't I tell mine? That's something I wish everybody can really just really listen to that and just understand that and just be like, hey, like, we all have a voice. And one of the things that's always connected humans sense of since we had freaking stories around the fire is our stories like our, our stories really help other people it might not help everybody it might not help the people you want but like you telling your story once that a person who finds that story that it really does help it it, it makes the world a better place and it, it is something that makes that connection with yourself and with other people like so much more like just prevalent is really nice to do. So I love that message. Like we all have our story. So tell it, tell it. And, and, you know, and, and you put yourself in a vulnerable position when you tell your story, which is kind of why it is a little scary. You know, you go through like, who's going to want to read this. And, but then once you kind of go beyond that, that I think that deep vulnerable place is very authentic and people do really resonate. And I said, like, you know, of course this book is going to be in the self-help genre, but I didn't want to write like 10 ways to manifest your dreams. Like I wanted to write the story of, of my journey. Cause I felt like that I could tell where it's like, how did, what do you know about manifesting my dreams? I'm like, I don't know if I do, but I know what's helped me. And instead of saying you should meditate every day, I could write, you know, about how meditation really changed, you know, my life and my perspective. And I think people, you know, they respond to that better when you know versus being told what to do you know it's like oh this helped me and then people listen with kind of an open mind and go oh maybe that'll help me too I'll give that a try (laughs) yeah yeah and uh that's one thing I've started noticing just from putting on this podcast and also just interviewing a ton of people is you're right like when you start actually telling your own story that's when people like trust you more and then they can actually get valuable sources of wisdom from it because they're just like, okay, that's a real story where transformation happened because you're right. Those like, there's so much on YouTube and on Instagram and all the social media. That's like the top 10 ways to, you know, (laughs) manifest a car. And you're like, all right, (laughs) like, all right, I I don't need a car, (laughs) but whatever, you know what I'm saying? But that's like those kind of, those kind of videos don't give you anything. And like, they're, it's very, that's very shallow as well, because like we were saying, that's not somebody going through that self-discovery and coming out from it with some sort of wisdom or some sort of sort of story that they can tell people. It's somebody like pretty much just going through all the ways of like, oh, this is what people write about with manifestation. So I'll just make the top 10 ways to do it. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's shallow and it's not real. No. And I think people can see right through it. And I even remember um, bumping into somebody who, you know, was, was in publishing and was very successful at it. God bless her. And, uh, you know, but I was telling her about my book and she was like, what's the title? And I told her, she goes, yeah, no, people want to read about them. So they want the 10 ways to manifest your dreams because they don't want to hear about you. They want to hear about them. And, you know, I I kind of like took that and it it was intimidating to hear, but then I thought about it later and I said, but that's not what I want to write. You know, like I want to write what 
feels true to me. And I don't know how to write that other way. So I can't completely change the premise to something that doesn't feel right for me. So, and I've had so many people just be like, no, it's way better this way. You know, like this was the way you were supposed to write the book, not that way. And I said, I'm really glad I just kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. we're encouraged to do like creative people. And in terms of marketing are told to do that, you know, and you know, it's, I guess that's the way of the world, you know, like market yourself and tell people how this book will benefit them in the title. And I, don't and know. I, I, I know what you're saying. Like sometimes that style of writing will mm-hmm. get you more publicity or more money, like short term, yeah. but long term, I, I like you want something long term that you can come back to more and more. Like if you learn to go inside yourself creative creatively, you're going to go into that creative well all the time. And it's like a well that's bottomless. You'll constantly be able to bring up stuff from it. So you're you're actually becoming an artist. You're actually becoming somebody who creates so in the long term, that's always going to be more beneficial, even though in the short term, creating the 10 ways to <laughs> manifest a mansion. <laughs> yeah, no, that way, that will probably short term will probably get you a little bit more uh, love. But, you know, it's it's too shallow that people are eventually going to turn away from it because you're not giving them too much more. And like, hey, I, I'm a self-help dude myself I love reading those books but I have read a number of them where I'm just like this is just trash and it's just like it's just so so shallow and it's just repeating the same crap you've heard a hundred times and for some reason they've put like two or three principles and made like a 200 page book out of it and you're just like how do you keep running on like sentences of these two or three principles constantly so no, and like, I always kind of stop that part. And then I love reading the little one chapter in the beginning or the end where the author writes about why they wanted to write that, you know? And then when I read the list, I always kind of put it down. I'm like, all right, I saw the list, but exactly. here I they wanted to write that, you know? And then like that, I care usually way more about that. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, interesting. That's what made you want to write that because of, you know, you got really sick and then you recovered. Like, oh, and then you want to write a book about it. That's interesting to me. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, and I, I love that because when when stuff when we transform like as spiritually or just as we come through different personal transformations in our life, it happens because something triggers it, and it's something in our life that like we'll never be able to predict what it is. So mm-hmm. when you hear other people's stories where it like this is the true transformation came from this incident, we can un- kind of understand it a little bit more. So that's why. Yeah, like that's why I, I I love that style of writing a lot more than yeah than that other style, which is kind of uh, unfortunately all around us. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you about uh, then this alternative ed- education you were talking about, Woldrove? Because we are talking right now about like learning to be more um, creative, like coming from like uh from more inside ourselves, like. What, what is this alternative education or what is it called Waldorf education? How does this uh, work? Yeah, Waldorf education. And um, like I said, it was kind of founded by Rudolf Steiner in like 1919. I think he had built the first Waldorf school. They're all across the world. Um, and I had come to Waldorf education. Um, my cousin had done it and I, I had learned about it. And then once I had young children, it really resonated with me that creativity is really born in you. Like I saw it in my children. Like, it's almost like it's born in you. And then we have to learn how to not like beat it out of them. 
as a society. So, and that schooling and that kind of educational philosophy really supports that. It really supports a young child's connection to nature and, you know, painting and, and molding beeswax. And in a way that is just very, um, very child-led and lots of singing and, and just this, this, this um, focus on seasons. Um, and, you know, it, it's really complicated to, to explain, but I was, but what I realized is that like, I was getting a lot of healing doing it with my children. Like I was taking them to school and learning about the educational philosophies of Rudolf Steiner and especially um, Kim Jong-Pain. He's a, he has this movement called Simplicity Parenting. And once I started reading his work and books around it, I had realized how much healing I was doing to myself of some of the you know, childhood limitations I had gotten, I had picked up along the way. So as I was, you know, and they focus a lot on handwork, you know, very um, limited technology because it's way more about connection with nature. So, and you do handwork like through knitting and finger knitting while you're singing a song. And it, it's very specific of why you do that. And as I was doing it with my kids, like I was feeling all this healing and I was like, I, you know, I was healing and they were healing. And then I said, of course I'm creative because they're creative and I didn't do anything special to them. They were born with that, you know, with that light. And mm -hmm. all I have to do is make sure that I just want to protect this light and I want to filter out the adult world and, you know, not like raise them in a bubble, but when they're two kind of, you know, I mean, and three, just protect them from the ways of the world and not have to teach them about fear and teach them about. And I love that the philosophy is ultimately the discovery, the child, the goal of the education is the discovery of the self, which for me, I didn't always see that in traditional education, where, you know, which would focus on, you know, putting knowledge in a child's head, you know, teaching them numbers and letters and algebra, you know, versus this was like, once the child knows who they are, they just learn naturally by, you know, because they know who they are. So even like reading is kind of delayed until first grade. And I noticed that with my daughter, all of a sudden at first grade, she just started inhaling books, you know, because it, she was so ready. And now they're all over, you know, her bed is covered with books and she loves to read and, and just like the creativity and the imagine the imagination, so much focus on imagination because that's so born in us. And it's like children has, have incredible imaginations. And it's like, we should be in their world versus trying to pull them into our world. So Walter mm -hmm. really supports that. And I was really grateful to have that, you know, opportunity to give to them. And I learned a lot from it as well. I felt like <laughs> yeah. I myself again. I love that. And uh, yeah, I love how you said like your, uh, even your daughter, because she, you like, you didn't like force reading on her in a way where it's like, oh, like you have to come here and like it, it becomes a chore. And like eventually like they kind of learn to like be like, oh, I got to go read. So like, you know, but I love that a little bit more because you kind of allow them to kind of come into it. And when they do and when you give them that joy of learning, then they go and learn a hundred things by themselves. Like that's uh, that is one thing our education system has been so bad at is just like killing that urge to learn in us. Really, the imagination is stifled by just all the like homework or, you know, just whatever. But and like you said, the key word allowing, you know, the, the child will 
wants to learn, wants to grow, wants to expand beyond themselves, but they have to know who they are. I mean, even talks about simple rhythms about, you know, just even like food and wake up time, not a schedule, but like a rhythm. We have an inhale and we have an exhale and just Mm -hmm. uh, a rhythm of that and how a small child needs that rhythm so they can learn and grow. And Mm. it's, it's really, really beautiful. So yeah, I encourage people to check. Because you were also saying it has like to do with the seasons as well. They kind of put that rhythm in there as well. Yeah, well, because I remember when they started school, like you know, it was I, they started in January because we had just moved, and my daughter was two years old and she had these snow pants on and she had to climb up this hill and I was like, oh my god, why is she out here in the snow climbing this hill? And and they were like, you know what? she'll learn winter weather in a way a calendar will never teach her, you know, by like learning like, oh, it's winter time. We put on our boots, we put on our hat, we put on our scarf. Like it's a real kind of uh, a real doing more than just learning, especially Mm. for a young child. And they learn through modeling. They learn through imitation. Like I'm putting my boots on too. We're all going outside to put on our boots for winter. And now, you know, or, you know, in fall, just we're raking the leaves together because it's fall. And in the summer, we're going to the beach and just a real kind of focus and emphasis on the different things we do at different, they, they have celebrations that honor the fall, like doing like, um, like a walk through the woods when it's daylight savings time, like the days are getting shorter and then like a spring festival. And, you know, they really go through those seasons because our bodies go through that, those rhythms. And it's just like kind of reinforcing the internal rhythms of our body with the external rhythms of nature and putting it all together. It's, 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 it's super profound. I love that. That is really cool. Um, yeah. All right, Melissa, I got uh, one more question for you. It's the question yeah. of the podcast. I'm, I kind of think I know a little bit where the answer is going to go, but uh, Melissa, uh, God, yay or nay? Definitely yay. <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling. <laughs> and uh, so do you think it was like the kidney transplant that really shifted it? Uh, what was it before then, do you think? Because I know you said you were into meditation and yoga for years but were you still kind of like atheistic uh, in those days? Yeah, I think, you know, I had grown up with a Christian background and then became a little like rebellious to the dogma of it all and, but still felt spiritual. So then liked when I heard people starting to talk about the universe and felt like, oh yeah, the universe is guiding me, source energy is guiding me. And, you know, wanted to keep it at that and not really go into God. But then after, well, A Course in Miracles was definitely the catalyst. And then experiencing the transplant and the miracle and the divine wake up was just like, I'm not afraid to say the word God anymore. And that's what I like about this podcast too, like not being able to, you know, be afraid of that word because, you know, it's yeah, your name for people and that's cool. You know, and like I said, I didn't feel like I had to convince anybody anymore, but for me, it was definitely, definitely a yay. I mean, when I felt, when I was, at the beach and nature and I felt good with the sun shining down on me. I'm like, that's God, you know, all those things. I was like, this is my religion, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's God. <laughs> mm, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything to get a little bit more connection, a little bit more fulfillment. I, I think that's uh, always a little more meaning, I guess. So <laughs> I think that's honestly always like just uh, really healthy for people. And like, I love these conversations because I, I hope people are really taking something from it and uh, getting a little bit more of that in their lives. You are creating the space for meaningful conversation. And I thank you for being a part of that. It's really awesome. Well, thank you as well for coming on. Uh, please let my audience know where they uh, can get your book. Uh, anything else you want to promote? Let them know, please. 
Yeah, thanks. So um, uh, on Facebook, I'm Melissa Anthony Mayer. On Instagram, I'm Mel May Evolve. And really, um, my website, www.melissamayer.org, has information about my work as a holistic physical therapist, has my blog, and all information about where to get the book online, local bookstores, and also book events that I've been doing. So melissamayer.org is the best spot to go. Awesome. And I'll put that in the bio. Uh, thank you so much, Melissa. This was amazing. Super awesome. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, podcast network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.